Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. This is part two of a series entitled Trustology 101. You can go listen to last week's teaching on the podcast and we covered some ground there in the first couple of principles. We're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 16. I was talking to a couple of pastors about this passage this week and largely I don't know that it was Paul's primary intent to offer sort of a treatise or explanation of why he felt like God could trust him. But in all five verses, 12 through 16, there is some word that comes from the root that means faith or trust, okay? All five verses, and he opens up so pointedly and powerfully. Now, the question we're asking is this. Um, the question we're asking is this. Who do, how do I trust and when do I trust? Once I've, once I've forgiven someone, remember, I've reconciled myself to someone. Uh, this week, I was uh, uh, several pastors I, had to, I got the chance to talk to because when you talk to them, they ask, well, what are you preaching about? What are you teaching about? And I really need to draw this diagram. But about three weeks ago, I stood down front and I said, reconciliate, excuse me, forgiveness is how we deal with the past. Reconciliation is how I deal with the future. Excuse me, present, but trust is how I deal with the future. I, I would like to re-say it. Uh, to restate it and say, forgiveness is how I deal with the past. Trust is how I deal with the future. Reconciliation is how I mediate or moderate the intersection of those. That's an important notion, okay? And so the question we're asking is life after forgiving and reconciling. When to trust, because watch, as Christians, I've had, had more counseling sessions of people being taken advantage of by misquoting their faith, where a person comes in and says, well, if you're a Christian, you need to forgive me. And great, we do. But what they mean is, if you're a Christian, you need to give me the unbridled access to continue to do the very unrighteous things to you that I've been doing all this time. And beloved, the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. As a matter of fact, let me, there's a little quote underneath that says, I'll trust you when you trust what I trust, and I trust God. That's right there. Let me show you where I get that. I didn't include the verses. Um, uh, Amanda, this is from Second uh, Timothy, not First Timothy, this verse, but it's very similar location. Second Timothy 1, I think it's verse 12. If not, I'll have somebody run it down for me. But if you can run down Second Timothy... Not to be confused with 1 Timothy, you're holding right here. Let's see if this is right. For this reason I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Here it is. And I am convinced. Everybody say convinced. That's the same Greek word. I like the King James Version that says, I am persuaded. Would everybody say persuade? I am persuaded that he is able to guard. Okay, Boy, isn't she fast, okay? Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, and I know in whom I have believed. <laughs> you are too good, girlfriend, I'm telling you. Uh, for I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded. Okay, can we start and read aloud, for I know? You ready? Come on, read it aloud. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That word keep is from the word entrust. What Paul is talking about Jesus Christ. Watch this. He said, he has persuaded me. How did he persuade him? Read all the writings of Paul. He persuaded him by the life he lived and the death he died. He persuaded him by his faithfulness, by his actions. 
Now, what we're going to learn next week is Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he just said, here's a trustworthy statement. We're not doing it this week, but he says, Jesus, he, fully deserving, and great word we're going to look at closely. Um, but and here's something I sort of coined, and I'll probably put it in writing in some fashion, but uh, you're going to hear me say this next week. You don't have to write it down because I'm going to blow it up, hopefully, is that uh, only God is deserving. Everybody else is going to persuade me. Now, what does that mean? See, that can sound really bad. Persuade me to trust you. How many know for every positive truth we're handed, we can take it and use it as a bludgeon to beat somebody to death with? Because where we're going to go week four, we'll be done with these six pieces. Week four, we're going to flip the narrative and say, what happens if you're the person that when it's flipped around and there is a person that's trying to win your trust and they are now of the disposition that there's not enough you can do. Because, see, I'm aware that these six principles that I'm giving, they can become absolute baseball bats in the hand of people. Well, let me tell you what Pastor Tom said. Pastor Tom said that when you're thankful for me trusting you. So how about on bended knee here today and every day? Anybody get where I'm going with this? Well, let me say that again. The word of God can be taken and be absolutely used as a stick to beat the life out of people. And the Pharisees are proof of that. The Pharisees are the proof of that. I want to do, I was talking to Pastor Matt this week. I want to do a series on the faith of the Pharisees entirely. You know, all of these words now, uh, fat is P-H-A-T. And you can go look up what they now mean. And, and fishing online, we're trying to get people to, to uh, bait them in is P-H-I-S, uh, H-I-N-G. I want to do one called faith of the Pharisees, P-H-A-I-T-H. And we're going to talk about what their faith looked like. Okay, and, and that, that will be a fun series. But here's one of them. They take the word of God and they don't use it as a word of truth to set people free. They use it as an opportunity to beat people up, lock them out, or lock them in. And Jesus was real clear about that. So here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to take these points of truth and refine our elitist posture to beat people up. Okay, let's look at the scripture real quickly. Here we go. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful. That word can be translated trustworthy. It's in your handout. Putting me into service, meaning as an apostle. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and violent aggressor, that ends the first sentence. Half of verse 13 ends the first sentence. And last week we looked at the first two principles for knowing who to trust. And that's at the bottom of the, of the paper you're holding. It says, thankfulness, trustworthy people are consciously thankful of being trusted. And I, I, I expanded on that at some length. And then number two, I use the word confession. Because the word confession comes from the Greek word that means to say the same thing as. To say the same thing as. And what he says, I realized I was a blasphemer and a violent aggressor. He called it what it was. Now watch this. Watch, watch, watch. If you go to forgive somebody of, of this action, okay? Now, well, let me just unpack it. We'll do a 90-second counseling moment. And you say, I, I forgive you because I've done this like everyone here has done this. I want you to know that God's spoken in my heart that I just need to forgive you. And uh, so I'm doing that. And the person looks back at you and says, well, thanks, but I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have to ask for a show of hands of who's been there. Now, the question is, 
who is right and who's wrong. You don't know. You're, at that point, you probably need to get a third party involved. And the Bible speaks about bringing a third party in to say, okay, who can bring additional perspective? But irrespective of whether they own it or not, the important aspect is you doing the forgiving. And by the way, if you go to say, well, I forgive you, and they say, well, good for you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. If you get all riled up and blown up again, then you probably need to do it again the next day. Because whether or not they own it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not we forgive them. Watch. Whether or not we trust them with that level of access in the future has everything to do with whether or not they own it. Everybody got what I'm talking about? Now, this is so important at a thousand levels, whether it's a teenager to whom you've trusted keys to the car and they went and did or did whatever. Everybody got what I'm talking about? Well, yeah, you can trust me. Well, we're going to have a different path to that because we're going to faithfulness. We're going to test that. So these, these principles are not being given so you can have some religious club to beat the stuffing out of somebody. Nobody finds grace in that moment. Now, I, a lot was said about that last week, so let's move on past it. The second sentence, which is the second half of verse 13 and then all of verse 14. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief or untrustworthiness. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Now next week, next week we'll pick up verse 15 and 16. But I want to take this one sentence that is the second half of verse 13. And I want to note the, the two words there that are very familiar to us around here. We talk about them a lot because they're at the heart of our faith. We sing songs about them, all that stuff. Okay, so everybody with me? Now, uh, that number three, you can flip your uh, handout over and you'll see is mercy and grace. They're in verse 13 and verse 14. Now, they're not an easy eye reference, so let me re- reread verse 13. He um, uh, said, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Now, this word mercy is just so incredibly rich and deep. You never can sound the depths of it. You remember I happened to mention earlier how Cornelius gave alms, and it's from the word mercy. Now, see, watch this. Poor people, in other words, impoverishment, poverty, is the result of a judgment that fell on the planet, and the order that God had intended for the planet got just thrown out of whack. That's why Romans 8 says all creation groans. Humanity groans. The Holy Spirit groans with you. Once you leave Genesis chapter 3, what God had intended is gone. Disease enters, economic disruption, social disruption, psychological disruption, uh, relationship between gender is disrupted. We, plan A is gone, and now we live in plan B. So to that end, when you see an impoverished per- person, that's not what God ever had in plan in the Garden of Eden. Now, you can go ahead and start inserting your political questions there. I love debating that, but that's not what this is for this morning. What I will tell you is this, that when a person reaches out, and, let, and I'm, please pay close attention, because I'm going to do what I say so often. I'm going to throw a rock right in the middle of the pond and then watch where it hits and then watch the rings that begin to go out from that and how it touches a bunch of other things. Judgment, crino, is a condition along with condemnation. So these judgments, this judgment of poverty that's fallen on the world on a system, anytime 
Anytime we encounter judgment and step up to it, James 2.13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So why is Elios and Eliemosene, this word for alms, is saying here, I'm doing something that is an attempt to lift the judgment off your life. Everybody got that? When we encounter impoverished people, we give of our limited resources to try and help them out of the judgment that life has brought them. And God says, when you give in an act of mercy, I'm going to open my hand to you. Please pay close attention. For those of you who were here during the weeks just a month or so ago when we were studying Matthew 18 and forgiveness, watch. At the end of the story, the king says back, should you have not had mercy on them as I had on you? So we understand that forgiving is an act of mercy. How many want God to open the hand of unlimited resources to us to give us what we can't get? How many want that? You don't have to raise your hand. We all do. We all do. If forgiveness is an act of mercy, how many know we want to be standing at the front of the line to give it away? Okay? When a, whenever, I, on the rare occasion, you know, whatever, when I've said to someone, I said, you know, I, I forgive you. Or when they've asked my forgiveness, and I said, sure. And they'll say, thank you very much. I, I really want their heart to feel better about it. But I will say to them, and you are welcome. But I want you to know that I have a very selfish and small-minded reason for doing that. It's because when I forgive you, that's an act of mercy. And God says, when I give that from my limited resource, he opens up his unlimited resource to me. So really, you need to know that me saying, yes, I forgive you. I'm the beneficiary way more than you. So I'm glad you want to put me on a pedestal, but it really isn't all of that. I'm so sorry that I'm really doing it because I want what God's going to give me more than you want what I can give you. Now you say, dude, you just made my head hurt. Can you just leave it alone and say, sure, I forgive you. That's what my wife says to me all the time. Sure I can if I don't read the Bible. So there. I, I want to know why. And there's a reason. When I forgive as an act of mercy, God says, I'm going to have a handful of it ready for you at moments when you need it, when you don't deserve it. Okay, enough said about that. So let's keep going. Number four, mercy is God refusing to accept my opinion of me above, uh, excuse me, or any opinion of me. Scratch that out and write any in there. Any opinion of me above his opinion of me. We spent weeks studying that phrase. If you weren't here for that, just do a rewind and go into the podcast. Trustworthy people recognize that same work, same mercy at work in us toward them. In other words, great, you have sustained God's opinion of me above the opinion that you should be holding because of what I did to you. Now, it may not translate at that level here, but people get it here. Did you know that forgiveness is that? It's not acting on the opinion that their actions should have formed in us deservedly, but it's acting on the opinion of God. Now, that's important for for a reason, so let's keep going. Um, Why? Because I am who you say I am. It just hit me while I was standing over there. It was a thank you, Jesus moment. Number four is grace. Trustworthy people acknowledge that being trusted is an act of grace, not an entitlement. Why is grace important? See, we read by the words and watch, we're Americans. Now you stay with me. I'm going to be done in about five minutes. But grace is one of those words we use. I say it all the time and you hear it. I listen for it. 
Matter of fact, now that I'm teaching on trust, I'm listening to trust in movies and TV shows. Did you know in every plot line, every plot line, at some point, if it's interesting or worth watching, there is some moment of fractured trust. And then either how they discover the truth or they, how, how they rebuild the trust. Every plot line has that. And I'm going, wow, it's in the middle of everything. It's everywhere. Trust. So this is important. And, and how does mercy and grace play into that? Now, a little more about grace. This is a flashback from the teaching. It's there in your handout. There is never an expression of faith where grace is not released. And there's never a receiving of grace where faith is not required. Now, again, at a sort of a theological level, some of you may push back on that. If you'd like to dig into that a little more deeply, email me and I'll talk to you about it. Because if you're a student of Scripture, you may look at that and say, wait, 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 you're trying to earn grace. Grace isn't earned. I get that. But I don't have time to unpack all of that. What I'm saying here, for those of you that may question that statement, make a note of Romans chapter 5, verse 2, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Let me say it again. Write those verses down and read them when you go home. Romans chapter 5, verse 2, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You'll see that grace comes through faith. Everybody say, through faith. Okay, enough about that. Having said that, listen to this verse of Scripture. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Amanda, we're going to run that uh, uh, when we get um, when we, uh, the PowerPoint thing I need again, as soon as we get through with this. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive what? Say it loudly. Mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Now, you can go ahead and start loading that up. I know it takes you a couple, uh, a little bit. And we'll get to that. I haven't put this PowerPoint uh, little animation up in, I don't know, two or three years perhaps. But I guess 10 years ago, we did a series on grace that forever. I know some of you thought the the grace would never end. But I began to see that the 180 times that grace is used, it's not this cloud of cosmic niceness. That's how we see it. Oh, they're gracious. Oh, that's grace. And we treat it as though it's the leftover God fragrance from him having walked through the room, and maybe it finds us, maybe it doesn't. Grace is not just this cloud of cosmic niceness. When we look at grace as just sort of this inert, static thing, I don't, know, I don't know different words to use. Just this sort of fog that maybe you can wander into. That is not true. Grace is a specific act of God towards God, towards mankind. And not only toward us, but through us. By the way, for those of you that do teach scripture, you know the times that the word spiritual gifts show up? And that word is charisma. Everybody say Charisma. It's spelled exactly like the word we use, charisma, that means charm or personality. But charis, C-H-R-I-S, is the exact uh, transliterated spelling uh, for grace. And ma, M-A. See, here's here's where your free uh, Greek grammar lesson comes in. Ma is a modifier. It means a concrete expression of whatever noun it is attached to. So what does that mean? It means a concrete expression of grace. That is the exact word translated spiritual gift. Why is that so important? Because grace creates a space for mercy to be received and lived. I'm going to show you that. I'm going to show you that. Uh, It it, it creates that space. Excuse me. Uh, It creates a space for mercy and redemption and everything to be be embraced and for our our, our life to be lived. I need to say that over again because I just stuck mercy where truth should have gone. Grace creates a space 
where truth can be embraced. That is such an important notion. It creates a space. Now, you're going to see this happen. So critical. Let's step, let's step through this, Amanda. Okay, that's me. Look at the person next to you, and that's, say to them, that's you am. Go ahead, say that to them. Say, that's you am. Because we're about to sing, I am who you said I am. That's you am. Now, that circle out there is just whatever the scope and, of my personal world is around me. It is the result and action of sin, according to Romans chapter 5, to constantly squeeze Pleonazzo, make our world small. This verse says, and just stop right there, thank you, where sin wants to squeeze the life out of us by what? See, here's an important reason for remembering these, what sin means. Because we leave here, and because we live in the South, if someone's to ask you what sin means, you're going to create a list of ten things or maybe three. You see it, mm-mm-mm. Lord, don't let me get on my soapbox. You see it right after elections, here it comes, all right? If you voted for a particular party, that's sin. I read it online. I read Christians write and say, if you're a true Christian. Well, see, I'm a word person. So I will use words. See, true means what? Truth means what? Unhidden. Now, see, we we read, watch, as Americans and Westerners, we read John 8.32. That you'll know the truth, and the truth will give you the list of things to make you right. That's how we interpret it. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you right. Truth is not a list of things that forever stops our seeking. Truth is a space of unhiddenness where we live in dynamic tension, free to explore whatever may be out there. We want a list of things. I had someone write me a a message that said, I've discovered what true leadership is. I had someone stand right there uh, two or three years ago that came for the first time. They were clearly church. They didn't ever come back again. They came that one Sunday. They came to me at the end. We stood right here, and they came to me, and, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he was very affirming, and he says, I am so glad to find somebody that finally preaches the truth. And while his hand... Come here, I'll stand up. I get to pick on you. So you'll learn not to sit on the front row. Uh, put your hand on my shoulder. Just reach across like you're putting that. That hand right there. Don't act scared. I'm not going to hurt you, okay? Put his hand on my shoulder, and I said, thank you. But I have no idea what that means, and sadly, either do you, okay? Now, we were standing here, and he was being affirming. I said, because what you mean by that is that I preach something you like. Now, whether that's the truth or not, we'll find out at the end of it all. But truth is unhiddenness, thank you. It's not a correct theology. Truth is living in that dynamic tension. So let me tell you this. If you're a person that played into anything, well, you're not a Christian or a true Christian. If you voted for a particular political party or platform, look at me. I want to give you a brand new scripture God just gave me this week. Okay? Here it comes. That if you will, if you believe in your heart, that God created a particular public, I almost said it, a particular political party, and you will confess that, then you will be born again. <laughs> Have you ever noticed it doesn't say that? I am extremely conservative, but I'm even more conservative where the word of God says, and please, I am 
a patriot. I was in the Marine Corps in a special ops unit. I didn't walk down front. I was already down front. But let me tell you what I will viciously fight for even more than I will fight for your freedom. I will fight for people not to drape uh, or cover the cross of Jesus Christ under any flag of nationalism and remove the amazing kingdom power that would be there. So whether you voted somebody right or wrong is, is your business, but the Bible says it is the blood of Jesus Christ that guarantees your salvation, not what what you check in the voting booth. Please hear me. Now, we can all clap about that whether you like it or not. And I'm going to make you because I did just tell you a truth that you can stand in. Let's thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, good. Enough said. There's the end of my frustrated soapbox. Here we go. Now, sin is altered worth. It wants to squeeze the life God would have out of you and force you to find your worth outside of God. That's why it squeezes us. Now, let's keep going. But it says, where sin abounds, the grace of God. Watch it. Sort of confusing. Watch what grace does. It pushes back. Stop right there. But how many know that grace is never a static What I mean, it never just holds sin off because here's what scripture said, uses two different Greek words. It said, where sin comes in and wants to squeeze the life out of you, grace abounds, but it doesn't just abound, it overbounds. It pushes back. So here's the hope. Every time sin wants to squeeze, God says, what do you say we use that as an opportunity to make your world a bigger place? Now, let me go back to something. Why? Because grace is the force that creates a larger space where truth can be experienced. God is all about making my world bigger. But how does that play into all of this trust stuff? Great diagram, Pastor Tom. But what does that have to do with anything? And I wrote that at the bottom of your page. As we respond to mercy, God gives us more grace. It abounds. So what does that mean to us as we practice giving grace in terms of trust? Here's why it's important. Because you'll notice Hebrews 4.16. It said, we approach the throne of grace. Did you know that God's name on God's throne is only given one name, one place in the Bible, and that's it? Why would he pick grace? Why would he pick grace to be the name of his throne? That represents the authority of the king and the activity of the king's domain we call kingdom. We live in a kingdom of grace whose, throne, whose king sits on a throne that is named grace. Why would he pick that? Your throne of grace. Why wouldn't he call it a throne of holiness? God is holy. But he calls it a throne of grace. Because he said, he's essentially saying to us, I want you to understand that the dynamic provision of my presence and rulership in your life is going to be noted by one primary thing more than anything, and that's grace. It is the constant pushback. Whatever you think has said you can't be that way because this happened to you, I want you to know that there's a throne of grace, oh beloved. And listen, when John was worshiping in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in Revelation chapter 4, it said, I was worshiping in the Spirit. I am who you say I am. He wasn't singing that song 2,000 years ago. I get that. But as he's worshiping, it said that the curtain was pulled back between two worlds. And I've said this to you a lot. Psalm 22 says, thou art holy, O God, who are enthroned on the praises of your people. I believe it, believe it, write songs about it, that when I begin to sing the throne of God in a world just beyond what I can see is brought to bear, that throne of God's authority and rulership. And he said, a door opened and he saw a throne. He could have written it a different way. He said, I saw a throne and one on it. I like that. That's dynamic. God hasn't said, hey, 
left my throne, got to run for a bathroom break, I'll be back. Or I've gone off, as deism would teach, I've gone off to the other side of the universe and I've just sort of left it all in motion. He says, no, as I begin to worship, there is a throne of dynamic force. It is a throne of grace. And God says, I'm not off that throne ever. I am there mediating grace to you at every moment. And so when we begin to worship, God is offering a pushback. Why do you think that happens here in this room when we worship? I am who you say I am. We sing songs of worship and God is enthroned. And what does he release? He releases grace. And suddenly we come into this room where life has been squeezing the life right out of you. And for 60 or 75 or 90 minutes we come in here and all of a sudden, by the way, even those of you that come in here two songs late, you get the benefit. Because grace is already pushing back. And you get to walk in. To the blessed benefit of what the other seven of us have already paid the price for. I love that. Well, that was a great shot, wasn't it? You didn't smile or say amen, either one. Okay. This is an empower, a powerful, important note. Now, I am who you say I am. I approach the throne of grace. But what does that verse say? Put up verse 16, and we're going to end right here. Look at the verses. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the what? Come on, say that. Come on, say those three words again. Where we will receive grace, right? No. Would you get this picture? Ah, uh, okay. Um, let me see. Give me a, a... Come help me. Hurry. Grab the other side of that and bring it out here. This is a park bench. For us today, it'll be a throne of grace. I love seeing all the Christmas stuff show up. Okay. Now, watch. We approach the throne of grace. And we say, Lord, your throne of grace. God says, great. The first thing I want to give you is mercy. See, mercy is refusing to join any opinion of me above his opinion of me. Why is that important in trusting? Because the trusting person will know that you're doing what God does to everybody. And you haven't given them what they deserved. You haven't joined in the opinion that their actions should have formed forever about them. But you're acting differently. Now enough about that. But watch what happens. Why, when you want to get to the throne of grace, um, I need two more male people. Do we have two more male people over there? Because I need somebody that looks like, come here, Randy. You can be that other person. Now, come. you can keep your microphone. I know you're going to sing in a minute. Come on, Brad. Randy, come here. I need guys so you can act buff and strong, okay? Now, you're right outside here. Yes, okay, that's great. Do you know, by the way, this is cool because you know where the seraphim were positioned is right around the throne. I never thought about that until right now. And not that they are, anyways, forget I said that. Rewind. I approached the throne of grace, but there's this sort of force field. I needed something other than people that I got to get by. And that force field is mercy. And I'm standing there, and until I'm ready to deal with mercy, why? Because I am who you say I am. Okay, watch. Stay right there. What if God's on the other side of this and you're saying, Lord, I, I, I want this or that from you. I want to go forward. And he says, but you am not forgiving. You am not forgiving. Everybody got that? Well, I say this so often and I know I'm going to get emails. You need to read the whole Bible. 
You really need to see the beauty of the poetry. In the Garden of Eden, when mankind messed up, they didn't respond to mercy. They could have. I believe Romans 5 teaches that. And so what did God do? He posted seraphim. I didn't plan this, but this really works out. He posted these horrible beings. I mean, just amazing, scary, giant, whatever, angels at the east of Eden to keep them getting from the tree of life. Why? Because the tree of life would have sustained and would have perpetuated the state that they were in. They were currently in the state of death and separateness from God. And God said, I'm not going to perpetuate your separateness from me. I'm going to make a way back. That's what mercy does. If grace, watch, grace has the power to make my life bigger. What if my life is full of bitterness and unforgiveness and stuff? Why would God make that world bigger? He won't. We have to pass by mercy. Why is that important? Because you am who you say. Why? Because you am who I say you am. Even if him saying I am not forgiving. I got to stop and deal with mercy. I got to deal with God's opinion. I've got to deal with God's opinion before I can get past. And when I say Yes, Lord, I, I, I confess and I, you're right. I repent of that. Woo! You know what it says in Revelation chapter 5? It said a lamb appeared. Stay right there. A lamb slipped in between the throne and the seraphim. A lamb stepped up and slipped in between him and said, you're all now atoned. These guys don't show up again after Revelation chapter 5. But God on the throne is going to say, you still have to come by the way of the cross because that's where mercy has been extended to you. Now, what does that mean when I come up here and I say, yes, Lord, please. Oh, I know I do this every week. I'm sorry. Listen to Romans chapter 8, I think verse 39. At the end of a chapter that says the earth groans and you groan and the Holy Spirit groans with you. But what I want you to know is now because of the love of Jesus Christ and mercy that's been given, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No, no, not height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor the angels. That's what he's talking about. See, when the Lamb entered... If we come by way of the Lamb and mercy of the cross, as God says, I love you, Lord. He says, boldly approach the throne of grace and pass by mercy. Tom, you have an unforgiving heart. You have bitterness. And you think who you am is based on them fixing what you did, but they can't fix what you did. You need to let me fix it because I'm the only one that can fix it. Tom, just forgive them and release them so you can move on and be a forgiver and a releaser. And I say, yes, Lord. These guys suddenly, they part. And I can step up to that throne of grace. Now, watch. And God says, now, let me make your world a little bigger. I won't make a bigger world where you'll stand in a lie grace expands the scope of my world to explore the possibilities of truth not deception watch me now if the first two things and how we trust and how God trusts us watch how you mediate that 
First of all, a person is thankful. Secondly, they own the depth of it. Thirdly, a person who is trustworthy begins to express in some way that they're so thankful the opinion you have about them isn't the one they deserve on the basis of what they did, but that you've been willing to extend grace to make the world of your relationship just a little bit bigger. Those are people you trust because that's how God trusts you and me every day. I am sorry. I had this so simply drawn on a piece of paper and now I've convoluted it all, haven't I? That really grieves my heart um, that I worry, I worry about that because we live in a culture that lives on 140 character sound bites. Can't get people to read. And it's my job every week to speak into that cultural consciousness. I'm not beating you up or anybody else. I'm just saying, I got to walk away and say, Holy Spirit, please make sense of all of that. Father, I pray for grace for people today. Let's all stand together. Now, thank you guys. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Now, how many are standing here today? See, before you give it, you got to get it. You can't be a person that gives trust if you haven't received it. Right now, because where this comes home is us, you and me. Lord, where am I approaching the throne of grace asking you to make my world bigger today? Where I'm not listening to mercy. I asked you earlier when we were singing that song. I am who you say I am. Wonderful little six, eight meter melody. I am who you say I am. I mean, great. Get a, a mug of beer and hold up the bar and say, I am who you say. A bunch of pirates for God, right? And when you get that feel, I am who you say I am, Popeye becomes envisioned, you know. We got that. I am who you say I am. So tell me who I am, Lord. You're an unforgiving, bitter person. Oh, I think not. How about a beer for you? Anybody know? We, we've got this whacked out feeling. What happens when God steps up and said, you am who you are, say you am, and not what you think. So put the beer mug down and listen to me while you're singing a happy song. See, we want to say, I am who you say I am, until God steps up and say, who you am. You got that? As long as God's saying the nice stuff we want to hear, you're a son of God, you are chosen, and you're not forsaken. Yes, Lord, I like those you am statements. You am a son of God and you am chosen. How many are glad? How, come on. How many are glad? I am. Only seven of us. Same people that got here at 10 o'clock. Okay. Bow your heads quickly. If you're here today, you're not going to move from where you're standing. You're going to stay right where you are. But God's poked at your heart in mercy. And saying, look, you want to approach the throne of grace and you feel like you can't get there and you're sort of stuck today. But I want you to come to terms with who it is and the issues in your heart that's leaving you stuck at the doorway of mercy where my opinion is fighting against yours. And today you're saying, whatever that may be, I don't care what it is, I'm going to lay it down right here. I'm going to walk not away 
I'm going to walk right past it, right to the throne of grace. You're not going to walk away from it. You're going to walk right through it. You're going to lay it down there. So if you're here, this won't be long, 30 seconds. If you're here, I want you to lift your hand in your head and just look this way. Come on. Receive that. You receive it. You receive it. Step into grace. You receive it. Step into grace. 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 grace. Receive that. Walk right by it. Receive it. In Jesus' name. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. You receive that. Step into grace. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.